Hello and welcome to this Tech Blast episode, the series delivering 15-minute overviews of an issue in the lab and the solutions available to help you through it. I'm Beatrice Bolby, Biotechnique's assistant editor and host of today's podcast. In this episode, supported by CNBio, we will be discussing organ-on-a-chip technologies and their wide range of applications. Our guests today are Emily Richardson, lead scientist at CNBio, and Dharaminder Singh, principal bioengineer at CNBio. It's great to have you both on the show. Just to kick us off, why is organ-on-a-chip in the spotlight right now? Well, I guess it's useful to start with what organ-on-a-chip is. So organ-on-a-chip is sometimes known as microphysiological systems. And essentially, they refer to the same type of system, which is an in vitro model, which combines both 3D cell culture and microfluidics. So that combination of the 3D cell culture, which often uses primary human cells, and perfusion of media around or through the cultures induces formation of more human-relevant tissue. Now, this has been required for a very long time. We've known in the industry for a while that 2D cell cultures aren't very representative of humans. Animal models obviously are not human. And so there's a lot of differences in the biology and the physiology. And really, we've known that drug discovery, there's a real issue with predictivity. So now it's kind of got to the point where organ on a chip and our general understanding of human biology is really developed sufficiently to cover this need that has been there for a while. But it's become a priority recently because there are a lot more human specific therapies coming through the pipeline. And so for that, you need a relevant human model to test those therapies. And that's where organ on chip really fits in nicely. One thing that's really made a difference, at least in recent times, is the FDA Modernization Act, which was passed a few months back in the US. And that removed the mandate that we had to use animal models for preclinical studies. And what that enabled researchers to do is to choose the most human relevant or the most predictive models and techniques available to them. And that could be animal models or it could be something more like organ on chip models with more human like tissues and things like that. I mean, regulators have been aware of organ on chip for some time. For instance, the FDA have collaborated with organ on chip technology providers in the past, and we've collaborated with them for a few years and actually published a paper where they evaluated some of our liver models. So just going on, how does organ on chip differ from other 3D cell culture approaches such as organoids or spheroids? I think the key difference is the microfluidic component. So having microfluidics within organ on chip models enables them to mimic things such as the bloodstream. So you can have a look at nutrient exchange and the shear stresses on cells and some of these things you can't do in other technologies. And what that allows is for cells to really form human-like tissues. And then furthermore, we can optimize this for each specific tissue or organ type. So we can optimize those microenvironments and we can optimize the fluidic flow as well for specific organ models. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think a great example of that is the liver. So hepatocytes, which are a cell within the liver, really don't survive well within 2D structures. And the main reason for that is they're really highly metabolic. So they require lots and lots of oxygen. And that's what microfluidics within organ on chip systems provide. They basically give them more oxygen, more nutrients. And that means that in organ on a chip cultures, liver models tend to have an increased longevity as well as functionality. And that was also shown in the paper that Daraminder described earlier with the FDA, where they basically compared 2D sandwich cultures and MPS and showed that MPS really had that advantage of the longevity of health and functionality. 
And I mean, those long-term cultures really are beneficial in the human liver models, where we can understand the sort of efficacy and toxicity of drugs. But you can also have a look at drugs with subtle or specific actions that may normally pass through without notice. And also liver tox can be latent. So uh, there might be an onset of toxicity. And that means those longer cultures can really help identify some of those things. And you can also do things with longer term cultures, such as chronic dosing, which you can't do in some shorter term cultures. Yeah. And that also applies to thinking about diseases. In organon chip, you're able to induce disease and really understand the disease a lot more because you have that longevity with organon chips. You can also start to include things like immune components, particularly when you have a circulating organ on a chip system that allows you to basically put in blood-like cells, which can then move around your system. You can understand that interaction between the immune system and specific organs, which is really great and not something you can do in 2D or other 3D cultures. I guess one last thing to add that you can do on the organ and chip systems as well is interfacing different organ models so that you can really have multi-organ systems to have a look at systemic effects, which you may not be able to do with other technologies. Well, that leads me nicely into my next question. What can organ on a chip be used for? I think it really depends on your question. I don't think it's sort of inhibited to one specific use. You can look at basic research all the way through to drug discovery. I think in our experience so far, organ on a chip has mostly been used for looking at efficacy or toxicity testing of drugs as part of a combined preclinical toolbox alongside those traditionally used methods such as animal in vivo testing or 2D cell cultures and looking at metabolism, for example. So a great example of that is if you had a multi-organ lung liver model, you could look at an inhaled medication, how that's inhaled through the lungs, how it passes through the lung barrier into the bloodstream and how that might then go into the liver and be metabolized. Yeah. And of course, those metabolites themselves can be toxic and, and toxicity studies are something that you can really do in these kinds of systems. So uh, we touched on it earlier, but with regards to liver tox and those models, which were evaluated by some of the collaborators at the FDA, has proficiency in testing and, and predicting the toxicity of sometimes really difficult to predict compounds, such as troglitazone, which actually made it through to the open market before it was being detected and subsequently withdrawn for its toxicity. Within our system, you can actually predict some of those outcomes before it would have gone to market. Yeah, and we found recently actually a lot of companies coming back to us after drugs have failed in the clinic, whether that be to efficacy or toxicity. And they've come back to us as a retrospective study to look at actually why did they fail? And we're able to predict those, as Derminda said. I mean, I guess the use case, like you asked, what's MPS used for? The use case has been changing slightly as technology has developed. So Earlier on, these complex models may have been a bit more difficult to use, whereas some of the tech providers have really been understanding the market and the end users better. And that's meant that we've been able to simplify their use. And I think that really helps integrate it into pharma and increases the robustness and often the reliability of those models and often the throughput as well. One example I'll speak about, which is something that I've worked on, was developing that Liver 48 platform. We were able to bring the same complex biology onto a Liver 48 plate whereby you have 48 liver models within one plate. And that really means that you can better integrate these kind of technologies and this kind of model into pharma workflows. What data can you generate using your organ on a chip models and why is this meaningful? So there are lots of different shapes and sizes of organ on a chip or MPS models. 
And really, this can mean that very small microchip sized tissues all the way to sort of normal tissue sized models can be made. And this obviously varies what you can then do and what data you can generate. Theoretically, microfluidics, as we said earlier, allow the production of better, longer and potentially larger tissues, which means that more data can be derived than 2D or things like spheroid 3D models. Also, I think the fact that we're producing these more human relevant tissues means we can obtain more human relevant data and human relevant endpoints. So we can often actually get the same endpoints as that are used in clinic. So we can get those clinical endpoints, but in these preclinical in vitro experiments. And we can also do things such as we can have transcriptomics, genomics and proteomics all within these on-chip systems. Yeah. And the fact, as we said, that the organ on chip models can have that longevity. We can also look over time, particularly if the systems are open well, you can take samples over a time course. So you can really then start to understand in high detail the mechanistics behind perhaps chronic dosing or perhaps how things like toxic events can occur. Well, finally, what should people be looking for if they are looking to adopt this technology? I think that really depends on your organisation. So smaller or maybe virtual companies might want to outsource their MPS, either through a provider like ourselves or through a CRO who are increasingly now adopting MPS technology. I guess if you want to bring your organ on a chip in-house, you need to think about the specific question that you're trying to answer with your MPS device. As we've said, some MPS are a bit more simplistic and high throughput, but then they take a hit on that physiological relevance compared to the perhaps more complex but less throughput devices. So it really depends, as I said, on your research question and the problem you're trying to solve. One key thing to understand as well is the material, the MPS that you're using how that affects any of the models and the cultures that you're creating, but also how it affects the drugs that you're testing as well. That's a key consideration. And then things such as whether it's an open or a closed system, whether you want to be able to access media for sampling and things like that, I guess, are considerations. Something else to think about is when selecting your system, you want to consider whether you're actually interested in just one organ or whether you're interested in linking different organs, as we said, in a multi-organ system, as not all providers or technologies are able to do this currently in terms of that multi-organ interfacing. And also one important thing is the validation of your cells. Often in life, we hear the phrase, we only get out what we put in. And this is true, not only in life, but also in cell culture. So the quality of the cells that you put in really make a difference to the cultures that you have and the organ models. So validating those cells with some tight uh, criteria really helps. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, Daramander. And validating cells is something that we do a standard at CM Bio and we offer this as a product. So the sort of things we do to look at validating cells is, for example, for liver cells, we'd look at their metabolic activity and how well they form tissues within our platform. Aversely, in lung cells, we might look at how they differentiate at ALI within the perfused cultures. And then also thinking about more complexity, we might look at how different cells and different lots from different donors might combine together in co-cultures. So it's really important to do this validation before starting work with your organ ownership device. And bringing the validated cells together with other things such as the media, the hardware, the consumables, bringing it all together in a kit like, you know, for instance, we have a Nash in a Box kit. 
means you can have really reproducible data and you can really minimize the amount of variability that you might get from lab to lab or from experiment to experiment. And I guess bringing all of these things together means that we can really get an off the shelf and plug and play product, which is able to produce human relevant biology. Excellent. Well, Emily and Daraminda, it's been great speaking with you both today and learning more about organ on a chip. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode and would like to find out more about integrating organ on a chip technologies into your research, you can check out our InFocus with CNBio at www.biotechniques.com. Thank you for listening and goodbye.